Greetings, everyone. Um, I know that some of you must be very disappointed that um, you can't go to the cathedral, but I guess it's timely that uh, we're going to listen to what God has to say to us from Amos. And I think what's the most important thing is that we're coming together and we're sitting under the word of God, listening eagerly to what he has to say to us. And so let us then start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, even as um, many of us are concerned about the cathedral and the floods and all the things that, that bothers us, we pray now, Father, that you will give us the grace so that we can focus on what you have to say to us through your words of scripture. And so I ask you, Father, that you will help me to preach your word faithfully and that the Spirit will be at work within us, giving us conviction and knowing that you speak to us even today through your words of scripture. Encourage us and strengthen us to live for you and put our trust in the King that you have sent to rule over us. So in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Now, uh, we will be preaching from uh, the book of Amos. And so if you have your service order open, uh, it'd be great if you can follow through with the verses together because we won't be able to project them as usual at the bottom today. Now, the book of Amos is a pretty interesting book, uh, but perhaps some of us have not studied it much. So maybe it's good to have a quick recap of it. Now, Amos begins with God's promise that he will punish and not relent towards the enemies of Israel, such as Edom, Moab, and Ammonites, amongst many others. And you can imagine that the Israelites who listened to Amos would have been very happy to hear this. After all, they are the bad guys, right? Then, as Amos pronounced how terribly God is going to deal with these sinners, another nation was mentioned which would be a little shocking for them. God pronounced judgment on Judah. Now, while the kingdom of Judah, those who split away from Israel, they were still part of the sons of Abraham. Yet here, God pronounces judgment on them for rejecting God's law and because they have gone astray. The judgment is coming close to home, but of course for the Israel who are estranged with Judah, this would still be good news for them. And perhaps some of them listening then would smirk. Uh, sometimes we can be like that as well, right? As we see God's judgment on others that we disagree and are unhappy with. But however, right after that, God then declares judgment to the Israelites as well. And at this point, the Israelites are no longer smiling. You see, while Amos opened with the promise of judgment on the enemies of God's people, the main point of Amos is that judgment also comes on God's people because they too have departed from justice, done that which is evil, and have abandoned the Lord. And this is exactly what Israel has been doing. And now they are facing the consequences. So following the initial declaration, the larger portion of Amos then consists of God explaining exactly why he will judge his people, how he has shown them grace upon grace that they have rejected in order to live according to their sinful ways and not God's perfect ways. Basically, God makes it clear that this is set and that they do deserve this judgment. 
So take a moment. Imagine what it must be like to hear the prophet of God go on and on about all the wickedness and sins that you have committed, about how God's judgment is now poised over your head. At any moment, he promises to crush you like the insect you are compared to him. This is the book of Amos. Not exactly the most comforting of reads, but it does show us how seriously God takes judgment and justice. However, that is not all, because at the very end of Amos, suddenly there's hope for them. Just after God says, all sinners of my people shall die of the sword, God then gives a message of hope. Our passage today then is that last hope that God gives his people after declaring such a grievous judgment. The message of hope that comes at the end of Amos is tied in into this one specific way through which God is going to bring salvation to these people who are doomed. And here we see that in verse 11. Verse 11, In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. This booth of David is going to be the source of hope for the people as God's promises for restoration are now tied in to God raising up this booth of David. But just what is a booth and why does it need raising up? Now, a booth is simply just a tent, right? And a tent is a temporary structure that is set up to be used for a dwelling place. However, used in this context, we can see that the raising up of the booth of David here is a metaphor. After all, if God is just going to put up a tent somewhere while people are going to go through the judgment, it's not going to be much help, right? So what does this mean? And the answer then to what the booth of David is a metaphor for lies in understanding what is this tent of David that is falled and in disrepair that God promises to restore. Now, some of you might know of the promises that God made to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David wanted to build a house for the Lord, God told David that he will build a house for David instead. And what he was meant by that is that God is going to build a dynasty for David. But this dynasty then started to decline during the time of Solomon. And by the time of Amos, it's a far cry from the time of abundance, blessing and rest during David's time. So you see, when this promise to David came, it was at a time when God gave his people rest and promises that they will be able to dwell and not be disturbed during David's reign. However, of course, David's reign is temporary and eventually comes to an end and then the peace is lost. Yet here in Amos, we see the idea of a restoration of the booth of David into a permanent solution for the people of Israel as seen in how verse 15 says, they will never be uprooted. So unlike David's time, Amos is promising a permanent solution to the problem. The answer then is to realize that while there was peace in David's time, the real promise that God made with David is that a descendant of his will come who will be as a son to God and then God will establish the throne of David eternally. 
Now, this then became the promise that points us to the coming of the anointed king, the Messiah, the Christ. This then became the hope of the Israelites. But remember, this is hard to uh, this is a hard to understand promise because um, God has said in Amos that He is going to judge His people and all will be judged. Yet at the same time, He also promises that He will save His people. So to understand this puzzle, then is to see that the Israelites come under judgment or salvation based on how they relate to this coming messianic David king. Those who turn away from evil and long for this king to rule over them will come to salvation. And those who keep on in their wickedness and reject the king and seek to rule over themselves will come under judgment. And this, friends, is exactly what we see when we come to the New Testament. And we see the leaders of Israel who reject the Christ, Jesus. And then we see those who become his disciples. And it is through this king that God will select who belongs to his Israel, who becomes his people. So there is a response here that is expected from the people of Israel. This is why Paul states that not all Israel is Israel. It's not about your genealogy, but your heart towards God's chosen king. So that's what the boot that God is going to raise up is going to be about. It is the kingship of David, which at that time was like a tent, is impermanent. But what God is raising up is better than a tent because it's going to be an eternal kingship. Now, then we continue reading to verse 12 and we see what it says. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. And here we see that through the Christ who comes, God's people under this king are not only going to escape destruction, but they will come to possess the remnants of all the nations. In other words, this salvation that comes is not only going to benefit the Israelites, but the remnants of all nations, even nations that were against Israel like Edom, will come under the rulership of this Christ. And this means that that remnant that comes under Christ will then come to participate in the blessing as well under Christ. Now this ties into the promises that God made to Abraham, where God promised Abraham a land and a people. And this pointed to the eternal peace of the Sabbath, where God's people will dwell in God's place under God's blessing and rule. And then through the seed of Abraham, that blessing will come to all the nations. So what we are seeing here in Amos is that God is bringing together all the different promises throughout the Old Testament that speaks of his people enjoying his blessing. And he shows us that this kingdom of God that he's bringing forth will come through the restoration of the Davidic king, King Jesus, who is the seed of Abraham. And through him will come all the promises from rest to the blessing to his people and it's going to flow to all the nation. God is building up the kingship of Jesus here under whom all who are under the curse of judgment may flee to and find salvation and blessing in Christ. So God will rebuild the glory of David's kingdom through the kingship of Christ who comes. So even though we are not Israelites, but through the gospel that came from those who first believed in Jesus, if we too then came to accept him, then through him we will be blessed 
we become branches grafted into God's Israel. At the same time, while Amos may not have mentioned Malaysia, the judgment is still upon us because we all sin. So if we reject him and continue down the path of sin, then all we have to look forward to is judgment. And this isn't even merely a physical and temporary judgment. But Jesus tells us that the judgment that comes is so terrible, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And this, friends, is exactly why we are preparing to celebrate Christmas this week with joy and thanksgiving. Even a flooded church building is not going to stop that. Because what Christ has done for us and what he offers to us is so amazing. Because the Christ has come. And the promise of Amos may now be fulfilled if we come under this king. Through whom God brings mercy and salvation. Through Christ, we escape the judgment on sin that we so rightly deserve. How can we not celebrate? Now, when you look at the blessing, we see that in verse 13, the blessing is poetically described. Verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Now for us, uh, this may not really have an impact since this imagery is not one that resonates with us. Since unlike the Israelites, we don't farm and we don't find our blessing directly from farming. But for the Israelites who have to labor in the soil to get the blessing from the land that God has given to them, this imagery then is a powerful one. We see here in verse 13, right, the picture, uh, the reaper who's harvesting the produce of the land is taking so long to harvest because it's so bountiful. That the person who planted the first round has finished and now he's, comp he's completing uh, the second lap and he's overtaking the reaper, right? And, and the reaper would have started long after the plowman planted the seeds. So the picture then is of such abundance that the harvesting is taking so long. And the second picture is the same also. The person who's sowing the grape seeds is overtaken by the person who's treading the grapes. So bountiful is this blessing from God. That it turns upside down the picture of farming, which is normally hard labor, desperate hoping for good yield. But this picture gets turned into a picture of plenty to show us that blessing. Uh, maybe for us, it would make more sense in the picture uh, if you say, you know, you finish working for one month and before even you finish, your salary and bonus arrive already. And it's so much more than you expected. And you say, okay, okay, I continue working. And suddenly again and again, right? You get notice on your phone. Your bank account has just been credited. And you just keep on getting money, right? You get your salary multiple times that month instead of once. Sounds nice, right? So more than that, God is going to make it such that this blessing is going to be everywhere. The mountains and the hills are pictured as, as flowing with sweet wine. And the picture then is of the blessing of joy and enjoyment that comes from something like wine. Now, I don't think this is a literal promise. So sorry for those who are already planning to find their biggest mug to keep on standby. Wine here is used as an imagery, as a tool of merrymaking. So to have wine flowing around freely, it's, it's a picture language of just how much joy and merrymaking is going to be part of this kingdom of God that Amos promises. And that's the picture then of living under King Jesus, 
when God grants the fullness of this blessing under the reigns of the Davidic king. And that's why we are so eagerly waiting for Christ to come back. So the fullness of this promise will be tasted by us. We then come to verse 14. And we see that the blessing doesn't just end with that. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. God promises to restore the fortunes of the people of Israel, and they shall rebuild and inhabit the ruined cities. They will plant vineyards and gardens and enjoy the fruits of their labor. And the picture here is that of a reversal of the judgments and curses that has fallen on them because of sin. Cities that are destroyed because of sin, um, because they have gone against God, are now going to be rebuilt by this remnant of the people and they shall enjoy them. They will belong in the land that God gave them and they will enjoy the fruit of it, no longer suffer in the land. So under this Davidic king, the Messiah, Jesus, God's people are set to truly find peace and blessing. And so with that, we come to the final verse, verse 15. Verse 15, I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. We now see here the greater promise of God. This there's something extra about this kingdom of God that he has not given yet to his people in the Old Testament before this. In this new kingdom that God is going to build up by taking up the remnants from Israel, the remnants from the nation, placing them under Jesus, now God is going to plant them in a place that shall be theirs forever. Now we see the imagery of the land. And immediately we think of the promised land which is the physical nation of Israel. But we have to remember the physical land has only been used as a metaphor for the true promised land that hasn't come yet. And that's why there's no literal milk and honey flowing as they entered the promised land, right? Uh, there were still enemies, right? There was not the eternal Sabbath of rest that they were expecting when they entered the promised land, right? That land was a picture, a foretaste of this kingdom of God under Christ. That is, for us now, uh, we say it's now and not yet. It's, it's begun. The kingdom is here, but we are waiting for it to come in its fullness. So Christ has come, but the fullness of the kingdom is still coming. And it is this kingdom that Amos is talking about. The reason we know that Amos is talking about the kingdom of God, that Christ brings with his incarnation and will be fully inaugurated at the second coming, is because the promise here is that God is placing this kingdom as an eternal solution to the problem, right? So anything in the past cannot lie, right? So some people look at the physical land of Israel, oh, see, this is the promise that the Israelites are blessed, but it's not eternal, right? So they shall never again be uprooted. And this tells us that this is not a kingdom that will be able to fail like the earlier ones. And this is interesting. You need to think, why? What is going to make this, this kingdom special? Remember, the problem in Amos is that the heart of the people always turns to sin. And people always live in a way that rejects God. And this was the reason why even when things look good, eventually things will turn bad and fail. We are sinners and we will court God's judgment if we relied on our obedience to God's laws. 
Thus, God's solution needs the eternal king to come and give a permanent solution for his people. And this, friends, is exactly what Jesus did in the first coming. He died on the cross to take on all the sins of those who would be his. Jesus is not only the king that brings in good times for his people, he is the king who loves his people so much that he gave his life so that his people can be redeemed, so that the problem of sin can be fully solved, so that the kingdom will last forever without ever failing. And that's the king who God has planted. So what is the implication to our lives then? First point, right now, even as you follow Jesus, you struggle with sin. But we must remember the promise of Amos. And we have to keep on holding to Jesus, knowing that it is in him that we are saved, not relying on ourselves. So even in our sins, we have an intercessor who pleads for us day and night and whose blood is sufficient for our sins. Now, this doesn't mean that we give in to our sins and enjoy them. But in Christ now, we have a reason to continue fighting sin, even to our last breath, because he has promised that when he comes again, we will be made perfect. So right now, we try to obey our king with all that we have, knowing that this is the king who guarantees that salvation. So don't take it for granted as you sin. But love your king and obey him. Because as long as you're found to be under him, you're seeking to follow him, even in your weaknesses, you are granted this place in the promises that God has given. And what has Jesus promised when he comes again? We will be free of the sinful flesh that wants to sin, and we will be redeemed and restored. And then in our new bodies, we will no longer desire sin, we will instead seek to live holy and blameless lives for all eternity. And so, the problem that we have seen in the past, that we still see today in the world around us, is not going to come and destroy this new kingdom. And this is what God means, that through the boot of David, he's going to set up a kingdom that is never going to fail. Christ has done all that is necessary. We are only asked to trust and persevere. Second point, do you desire this promised kingdom of eternal blessing, overflowing abundance of joy and peace? If you do, then see, it is only under Jesus, the risen king, that you can ever come to obtain this. So won't you dedicate your life to him? Serve him as his subject. Love him. Seek to do the things that he asks you to do. And finally, the third point. Don't just focus on the blessing, but think of the reason why God promises this blessing. It is because there is great judgment on the world. People are headed to that eternal judgment from God that scriptures refers to as hell, a terrible place. So if they do not come to Jesus, things are going to be really, really, really bad, eternally bad. So will you not then stir up your passion to share the gospel with your friends, family members, even strangers who are perishing right now 
without the good news of salvation that comes with this King Jesus. So even as we wait for the second coming of our King, even as we cherish our assurance of salvation and blessing and we wait for us, let us then be people who value the gospel, bring it to people, so that they too may come to enjoy this blessing that Christ offers them through his kingship. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is our King. And Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you have promised us. And so we eagerly await, Father, for Christ to come back, for the fullness of your kingdom to come. And as we do that, please help us, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to love Christ our King right now. And help us to obey him in all the things that he has asked us to do. And we pray, Father, that as you do that, we will find assurance to see the work of the Spirit within us, marking us as Christ's people, that that would encourage us then to continue serving him, knowing that we belong to this kingdom, Lord, that you have called through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.